The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I'm so glad that as a believer, a child of God, we can rest with confidence and assurance that the Lord directs our paths and that every step that we take is ordered by him, and yet every step that we take brings us one step closer home. And uh, I think every child of God looks forward to the day when we will step inside the gates. I think there's a bit of fear on all of our parts because, uh, by reason of death because we've never gone that way before. But I like to think of it as just one of those uh, automatic transmissions. It just changes into another gear hardly without your even recognizing it. And I believe that's the way it'll be when we go home to be with the Lord. It'll just be the Lord putting us in another gear. So uh, every step that we take leads us nearer home. And I'm glad that we're closer home today than we were yesterday. And uh, every step draws us nearer to our blessed Lord and the place he's prepared for us. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to the book of Proverbs. I read only one verse, and that being verse 8 of, of the 14th chapter of the book of Proverbs. And then I'm going to call your attention to a passage parallel to this truth in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. So if you'd like to find that place, we're going to uh, confine our thoughts primarily to 1 Samuel 25. This morning what I want to talk to you about, and I'll entitle my message simply this, Fool was his name, and folly was his game. Now just hang on to that. Fool was his name, and folly was his game. Do you know anybody in the Bible that is named Fool? Well, I'm going to show you that in 1 Samuel 25. Our text verse reads in chapter 14 of Proverbs in verse 8, and it says this, The wisdom of the prudent, that is, of the wise, is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is deceit. The word fool, by the way, is very common to both the Old Testament Scripture as well as the New Testament Scripture. Many, many times the Holy Spirit uses this particular word, fool. Now the word fool is a word in the Bible that gives us a description of a man. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That is a description of one who is called a fool. Now the word fool can also be used by way of despite of someone else. Our Lord warns us about that, about using the term in despite of another person's character and of their heart. It is also a word of dementia. And I mean by that, 
Oftentimes, it is used in reference to those who are just kind of off balance mentally. You remember when Paul was in his ministry, uh, when he stood before one of the tribunals of his day, they accused him and they said, Much learning hath made thee mad. The word mad is the word fool. They were saying, Paul, you have just gone crazy. You're a fool because of the much learning. But yet in a way of warning and in a specific way of warning, our Lord shows us that the word may be used and bring damnation. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, I'd like for you to read what our Lord Jesus said. Matthew 5 and verse 21. And it reads like this. Matthew 5, verse number 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Watch this. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So it is a word, not only a word of description, a word of despite, a word of dementia, but it is a word of damnation. It's a very frequent word in the Bible. Now there are four basic words in the New Testament which was recorded originally in the Greek language and there are four particular words that are translated in our English version of the scripture as fool. Number one, the word aphron. That's the English pronunciation of the original word. The word aphron is translated meaning one without reason. One without reason. It also defines one who has a reckless and inconsiderate habit of mind. It also means the lack of common sense, a lack of perception of the reality, that is, the truth of things natural and spiritual. Now let me just give that to you again. The word that is translated fool means the lack of a perception of reality, of truth, of things natural and spiritual. Then again, it means the foolish ordering of one's life in regards to salvation. The Bible calls one then who foolishly regards his life in regard to salvation. The Bible calls him a fool. Certainly a man is a fool who lives only for this life, who lives only for himself, who has no thought of eternity and of his need of salvation. 
There is yet another word in the original language that signifies not understanding. That is, one who is a fool, according to the Bible, is one without understanding. Remember this verse. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, the scripture talks about they have no, they, they have no understanding. That is, they're sinful They have no understanding, no concept of things that God has given. Let me give you another word. It is the word moros, spelled in English, M-O-R-O-S, from which literally we get our word moron. It means dull, sluggish, or stupid. Now, I want you to look at, remember what we just read back in the Gospel of Matthew. The Lord speaks of calling one, uh, calling someone Raka. Now, the word Raka uh, is a transliteration, and it is it is the act of the scorning of one's mind and calling him stupid. Now, the Lord said, if you do that, you're in danger of the counsel. But He gives a more frightening warning and he says if you say to your brother thou fool you are in danger of hell fire now the word that is used there is this word moros and the word moros has to do with the scorning of one's heart or character Now, the same word is used back in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 26. Remember this, if you will. The Lord Jesus gives the story of two builders. One man builds on a firm foundation on a rock. And he said, this is the man who hears my word, who receives the word. But listen to verse 26. He said the man who builds on the sand are are the man who hears my word and does not heed is like a foolish man. There's the word. Who builds his house on the sand. The Lord Jesus in simplest and kindest terms is saying a person is dull in his life. He's not thinking about life as a whole. He thinks only of life in the now. He does not consider life in the hereafter. Now that's a fellow who's dull. He is not thinking. And the Lord's word calls him foolish indeed. There's a fourth word. And the word that's translated there as fool refers to one without discernment. One without discernment or one without understanding. Now I've given you that little lengthy lesson, but I thought it was important that we understand the Bible's usage of the term fool. As we look back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, There's a very interesting story that indeed, I think, would hold everyone's attention. 
I'd like for you, if you will, with your Bible open, I'll not take time to read all of this story because it goes all the way down through verse 42. Now, I can read that if you'd like, but I want you just to make a note of it and read it for yourself. It is an intriguing story of the man called Nabal. Nabal. Now, the Hebrew word Nabal, now get this, means, you guessed it, it means fool. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the man's name is Nabal. Now, I don't know how he got that name. I cannot imagine any parent in this congregation, at least, who, if they had a child, a son, they would name him, in English, fool. Do you? Well, I'm sure some parents sometimes would like to call their son or daughter that. But that's not a name that we give. But that was the name of this fellow in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Actually, what I call it is the story of beauty and the beast. For Nabal was married to a very beautiful, a very wise, a very intelligent woman. Her name was Abigail. So in this passage of the scripture, there is so much that is revealed to us that we need to understand. Now, in the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament was written, the word Nabal, translated fool, it denotes... One of moral perversity. He is perverse. He's twisted morally. It doesn't refer to one who has some intellectual or mental weakness. But rather, he is morally twisted and perverted. Now, there are a lot of folks like that alive in our world today. They are men and women of intellect, but morally they are perverted. That is, they are twisted from what God intended man and woman to be. Now, in this 25th chapter, and I, I know you, we don't have time to read it now, but please, if you will, just let me tell you the story, and then you verify it when you get home Instead of watching TV, why don't you read this 25th chapter? It tells the story of a man named Nabal who lived in a place called Maon, M-A-O-N, verse 2. The name Maon means, interestingly enough, place of sin. Boy, he lived in the right place. A fool lives in the place of sin. One without discernment, one without understanding, lives in the country, the place of sin. Now watch. Whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. Now, this Carmel, by the way, is not Mount Carmel. That is the great uh, mount where Elijah had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. You remember that story in 1 Kings chapter 19. That is not this Carmel. The Carmel that is here 
is at the base of Mount Horeb. In fact, it is the territory and the mount that you remember this fellow Nabal's parents, his father, requested of Moses. His father's name was Caleb. And Caleb said, I want this mountain. I want this place. Caleb was a man of whom the scripture says he holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, he holy followed the Lord. I was talking to a young lady this week. She's having great problems right here in our county. And I kept saying something about submission and surrender to the Lord. And she said, what do you mean by that? I said, I mean by that, that you give yourself holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, body, soul, and spirit, you surrender to the Lord. Y'all following me? So then, here is Nabal in the country of, Car- in the area of Carmel. And the scripture said he was very great, that is, in the eyes of the world. Meaning, he was a wealthy fellow. He was rich. But can you imagine a man that has enough sense to become wealthy being a fool? I can point out to you some folks right here in our audience who would tell you that the sto- that's the story of my life. I can tell you of people who are members of our church who have become wealthy at one time in their life. They got away from God. They disobeyed God. They were rebellious in their heart and they lost much of their wealth, almost all. You see what I'm saying? Now that's a fool's mistake. No discernment. Not discerning that obedience to the Lord, God has promised blessing upon us if we would be obedient to Him and submissive to his command. Well, let me go on. The man was very great. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I've got a neighbor, and Popo has too, that's got a herd of goats. My soul, this fellow's got 1,000 goats. I'm glad my neighbor hadn't got that many. But oh, I've had to get those little goats out of the fence. I hear them squalling, crying like a baby, and I have to go to the fence, the back side of my place, and I have to get those goats out to get their horns hung in the fence, always sticking their head through a little hole opening and trying to eat the grass on the other side instead of staying within the boundary. Isn't that just like us? Instead of feeding on what God has given us, we want to stick our heads through the fence and we nibble on the grass that's on the other side, and our horns get us caught. And somebody has come and get us out. We've all been there, hadn't we? Nod your head, mighty well. And so then uh, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now it's time, he's getting all the wool off. Now the name of the man, verse 3 says, was Nabal. Now I've got a dandy little outline up here, but I see I'm not going to have time to use it. So let's just keep on in the scripture. If you'd like to see the outline, I'll share it with you after the service. Now the name of the man was Nabal, Hebrew word meaning fool. And the name of his wife, 
Abigail. What a precious name this woman had. Her name means the father's joy. <laughs> Here is a dad proud of his daughter. I don't know any dad who's not. I had but one daughter. She was the apple of my eye. She was, she was a note of joy and thrill to my heart. She was the joy of my life. And here is Abigail. And uh, today, a lot of modern-day folks will name their daughter Gail, or they'll name them Abby. And that's a beautiful name, Abby or Gail, either one. And so her name means the father's joy. There's something in the heart of a dad. It just swells when he looks at his daughter and sees that she looks more like her mother than she does him. And he has a reason to praise God. But the whole story is there, she is a joy. Now, watch this. The name of his wife, Abigail, she was a woman of good understanding, meaning she was not foolish. She was wise. She had a spirit of discernment and also of a beautiful countenance. But the man whom she married was curlish. That word simply means a bear of a man. He was rude. He was brutal. He was harsh. Now, this beautiful, intelligent woman, watch this, is married to a fellow whom the Bible calls a fool and a bear of a man, rude, harsh, and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. That's the Caleb who was Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. He was the son of this fellow, which goes to tell you this, that a son does not always turn out the same kind of character that his dad is. Caleb was a man who wholly followed the Lord. But here one of his son, his son, Nabal, is a man without discernment. He hasn't listened. He goes his own way. He follows not in the ways of the Father that God had given to him. So, the house of Caleb. Now, I don't know how Abigail ever got hooked up with this dude. I think it wasn't necessarily her choice. For in Old Testament days, they didn't have a, it wasn't done like it's done in our Western world fellow sees a girl over here and he says, I want to marry him. Girl's even that over there and she wants to marry him. Rather, it was not so much the choice of the girl or the man as was the choice of the father. The father of the daughter made the choice and he said, this is the man I want you to marry. Now, I think I can find some fault in, in Abigail's father. Though he was a good man, yet he had money marks in his eyes. And he said, you know, 
I want Abigail to marry this fellow Nabal because boy, he has got a herd of sheep and he's got a thousand goats. He is a great man, that is, he's wealthy. And he said, I want her to marry into money. If that's the desire for your son or daughter, you don't have any discernment either. You don't have any understanding. Wealth does not bring happiness. Wealth does not bring success inwardly. And yet there are many parents who look over here for their son or their daughter and they'll even choose, I want my son to be so-and-so because boy, in that field they make a lot of money. God help us if money is the deciding factor in our lives. And this story will prove that. Abigail then was hooked up with this fellow. Beauty and the beast. A harsh, cruel, crude, unloving, unwise man married to a very beautiful, understanding, devoted wife. Abigail is the father's joy. She had beauty, but her beauty was not just physical. The beauty of this woman, though there was a physical beauty, the great beauty was in her character. And I want to tell you this, there's where beauty is. Beauty is in character. And I mean the ugliest old ward in the country, if she's got character, is beautiful. The fact is, that's what God looks at. What are you on the inside? Somebody said character is revealed when you do what you do and you think nobody will ever find out about it. Character, what you are on the inside, there's the mark of beauty. You see, physical beauty will fade. That young princess you married, sir, ladies, I hate to mention this, But one day you're going to get wrinkles. Your hair is going to turn gray if not turn loose. I mean, you're going to have those love, what they call them, love handles, inner tubes, not that number eight Coca-Cola bottle shape. That's going to happen one of these days. But if you've got character, that'll last. That doesn't wear out. And say, ladies, when you're looking for a husband, look for a man who's got character. Not necessarily somebody that looks like John Wayne or who's that other guy that used to be some fame? Gary, what's his name? Who? Gary Grant. Yeah, handsome fellow, wasn't he? But I want to tell you what. This fellow, isn't it sad? He didn't have any character either. He turned out a pervert. And yet we've got a lot of folks, look at character. What a person really is, that's going to come through. That's going to shine through. It's not how attractive they are outwardly, but it's what they are on the inside. Look for that. And so here is is Abigail, a beautiful woman. Let me tell you the story. David has been down in the wilderness. He's fleeing from Saul. Now, he could have killed Saul on several occasions, but he knew Saul was God's anointed man for the throne. 
He knew he was seated on the throne. But let me say this too. David knew that God had picked him to succeed Saul. But David honored this man. I mean, he respected him. I think of what a Marine said to me back during the days of the terrible Clinton administration. And all of the moral corruption and lie and deceit was so prevalent. I said to this Marine, I said, I know you have to salute when the president comes by. But I said, do you find that difficult? Well, he said, yes, sir, in a sense. I said, do you salute? Oh, certainly, he said, I do. But he said, I don't salute the man. I salute the office. The same goes for every, uh, every situation. Even in this place of a church, God has ordered that we remember those who have spoken to us the word of God. There's to be a, a, a reverence for the position. Whether we can respect the man or not, we need to respect that office that God has given. So then, uh, uh, here, is, here is David out in the wilderness, fleeing from Saul. But what he's been doing in the meantime, Nabal's shepherds had some sheep and they were out in the wilderness grazing. But David's servants, about 600 men who followed David, they protected Nabal's sheep. The Bible says, as you'll read in this chapter, that they were a wall to Nabal's shepherds. They kept all of the intruders and the invaders and the robbers and the thieves. They protected them. But there came a day when David and his soldiers were hungry. And David said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to Nabal's place. For it's the time of the sharing of the sheep. By the way, that was a time when the harvest had come in or when, as in this case, the sheep were being shared and they were, listen, they were having a feast. And so David said, I want you to go up there. This is a good time. That was a time when people were free hearted and they shared with others. Kind of remind me when I was reading this, when we used to have hog killing. How many of y'all know what a hog killing is? Well, you know that. And when we had a hog killing in our neighborhood, everybody, Brother Bruce, came in. We helped. We had put that old hog down in a boiling barrel of boiling hot water and scald her for a minute and pull her out and then scrape all the hair off. Y'all remember that? Papa and Dad remember that well. And then uh, after that, we had, uh, had uh, I mean, do it several of those old hogs. I'll never forget one day, John Hale, Dad, you remember, uh, shot one of Frank Dyer's hogs. We were supposed to butcher him. And the shot wasn't too good. He was supposed to hit him right between the eyes. And uh, he didn't hit him just right. And I mean, he came out of the chute. And lo and behold, the first thing we knew, everybody is running after that old sow. And John, John finally caught up and he had a butcher knife about that long. He is riding the back of that sow and a cut in her throat all at the same time. Oh, I never saw such a man. But I'll finally get around to what I was going to say. When we had hog killing time, 
everybody in the neighborhood would get some of the hog meat. Uh, somebody would get a ham. Somebody would get a shoulder. Some of them would get a, uh, the ribs. Some get the back strap and the pork chops. That's usually the fellow that owned the hog. Some folks would even get the chitlins. That's right. John, our, the fellow would always kill him. I mean, he wanted the chitlins. I'll never forget him. John John say, Mr. Frank, save them chitlins for me. Now, I never was out there when he cleaned them. But you know, you take one of those things about a 12 foot long and slap it up against the side of the barn, clean it out, you know, and put it in water. How many of you folks ever ate any chitlins, huh? And would admit it, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I tried it twice. I never have been able to chew them up. I mean, they just get bigger and bigger. You ever notice that? And yet that was the time when David sent his men up to Nabal. It was time when folks were sharing and free-hearted and, and they wanted to give as a result of the blessing that they had gotten from God. David sent them up and he said, You say to Nabal, peace be both to you to your house, peace unto all that thou hast. Now he said, I've heard that thou hast shared this, verse 7, now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. So the servants went up and they asked Nabal, uh, David's got some men down here, the soldiers, and they're hungry. Now I want you to watch this foolish man. Verse 10, and Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. You know what a man is selfish and greedy and loves his possessions? You know one of the excuses he kind of makes himself feel a little better when it comes to helping a fellow in need, he depreciates the fellow's character. Why he said that fellow sorry, low down. He don't need any help. Listen, I ain't gonna help him. You know what that is? That's a cover up. That's a cover up. The Bible said, if you see your brother have need and close up the bowels, the emotions of your, of your heart, then he said, how dwells the love of God in you? How can you claim to love God and yet you have no concern for your brother? The truth is, Nabal loved his money. He was saying, who is David? Reminds you of Pharaoh, doesn't he? Pharaoh said, who is God that I should obey him? In other words, if we can play down a fellow's character, we don't feel as bad when we don't help him. And that's what Nabal was doing. But he was a fool. And so here, David asked through his servants help, but Nabal refused. Now, uh, let me go and I've got to close. I wish I'd do, I would have dealt with every one of these verses. Verse 11, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. You know what that means? He cussed them. He said, here you coming up here asking me why David probably a runaway slave himself. 
You ask me to help that, that low, that worthless group of men out in the wilderness? But the men were very good to us, these servants said, verse 15. We were not hurt. He's talking about when the soldiers of David took care of. They were a wall to us, verse 16, verse 17. Now therefore know and consider what thou do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a man of Belial, get this, that a man cannot speak to him. You ever met anybody that ornery? I mean, they're argumentative. You can't even talk to them. They're hard-headed, hard-hearted. And if you even talk to them, they get all riled up. And that's Nabal. He don't want a thing to do with these fellows. They come up there asking him for something. But watch this. David determined as a result that he'd go up and just get rid of Nabal and all of the men who were on his, on his farm. He said, I want 400 of my best soldiers to go with me. 200 stay back here with the stuff. I want 400 go with me and we'll wipe the slate clean with Mr. Nabal. And they started up. But watch what happened. Nabal had a wise, understanding, and beautiful wife. And as David rounded the bend out there in front of him, there were some, there were some donkeys or mules or camels. And they were laden down with, with, with food. And she comes up and meets David. She falls down on her face and begins, what? get this, to intercede before David who is bent on destroying this foolish man Nabal. And she begins to intercede before David for her husband's life. You know what Abigail would have done if she had lived in our day? She had said, I'll see you in court, Nabal. You can forget it. I'm through with you, buddy. I'm not having to do with you. A man that lived like you is foolish, greedy, harsh, brutish. Oh, she'd say, I'll meet you in court. Not this woman. She bowed before David and said, Don't you spare my husband? I brought you. I brought you some food. I want you to know it wasn't me, but Nabal. Hey, here's an interesting statement if I can find it. She fell at his feet, verse 24, and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Blame me, she said, if you're going to blame anybody. But look at verse 25. Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial. She talking about her husband. Even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is his name. Fool is his name, and folly is his game. Nabal was a foolish man, but he had a wife who interceded on his behalf. Sometimes... We make wrong choices in life. But the wrong choice gives a wife or a husband no reason to depart, but to intercede, to pray. And when, listen, when, when, when Abigail got back, you know, what, you know what Nabal was doing? 
He is drunk as a dog. He is drunk. So drunk with his wild party, she couldn't even tell him what had taken place. But she waited until the next day when the wine and alcohol had gotten out of him. And she told him. You know what happened to Nabal? Read it for yourself today. His heart became a stone. He was scared out of his skin. I mean, he had a heart attack. And ten days later, he died. I will tell you something. You leave the vengeance up to God. You do what's right in your life. God will take care of the other part in his own good time. Don't become a fool dealing with a fool. Use some understanding and discernment. And listen, you know where that all starts? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. Wisdom means discretion, spiritual insight, and understanding. I like to define wisdom like this. A wise person is a person who sees things through the eyes of God, not through his own eyes. He sees it through what God revealed in his word. But oh, how often we judge things on a human basis. But yet this woman used wisdom that is discernment, spiritual insight and understanding. The fear of the Lord, our verse said, is the beginning of wisdom. What do we mean by fear? We mean a reverence for God which leads one to obeying Him because He recognizes God's power that He's able to do all things He's able to solve any problem and because of God's love for man. That's fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wise man then is one who reverences God to the point he obeys the Lord, recognizing God's power and God's love for him. The story is quite lengthy, and I, I haven't had time to deal with everything the Lord dealt with me about, and maybe I'll get back to it sooner or later. But I hope you've gotten the gist of this passage, and I hope I challenge you this afternoon, please get aside and read this story that has so much and so many lessons to tell us. A lesson we learn is that Godly heritage doesn't necessarily assure one of salvation. You see, Nabal was of the house and lineage of Caleb, a man who only followed the Lord, but he himself became a fool. And you may have had godly parents, but you can turn out to be a fool too. You can turn out to have no discernment about eternity and about salvation and your need of Christ. A lesson again we learn is that intercessory prayer for a loved one is rewarded. And you precious wives and children who maybe pray for your parent and wives for husbands, husbands for their family, all listen, continue to intercede before God for them. 
God will hear you. He'll reward in due time. Beware of your little temptations as well. They can scar your life forever. That's what Abigail said to David, you'll find. She said, listen, you don't want this on your record if you go up and murder Nabal. God's anointed you as king. Keep your, keep your record clean. Keep it clean. The little temptation. See, David had fought the Philistine giant Goliath. He had outwitted Saul in Saul's search for him. And yet he comes to this moment in life when there is a little temptation and provocation and his temper flies up and flares up and he's about ready to commit a transgression that will never come off his record. It's the little thing. Not only that, but you learn that sin is a deceiver. Nabal had wealth. He had greatness. But it deceived him. And so will sin deceive you. I think another lesson that I learned from this passage is that I need to learn to listen to godly advice. You know, it's strange to me. People come to me with all kind of problems. And I tell them what the scripture said. You know what a lot of them do? They turn around and do just the opposite. Learn the lesson, folks, of listening to God. The preacher's not up here trying to beat you half to death and stomp all over you. I'm trying to help you. And yet people just ignore the precious word of God. Remember this final lesson that there is death in refusal to hear God's call. Nabal died a terrible, tragic death. And so will men who reject the call of Jesus Christ. He that believeth not is condemned already. The wrath of God abides upon men who have refused Christ. Give him what he asks. Give him your heart. That's what he longs for. Let's stand together as we pray, please. You know, often it's the little things in our lives that Satan really tempts us with. Men can be great, and David liked to have committed an awful sin of murder. He and his men going up to kill Nabal because of his refusal to help them. Now, David, no doubt, had a right, a reason, maybe not a right, a reason as far as he's concerned to go up and avenge himself for his servants had been so good to Nabal and to his herds and to his servants. But he is about to commit a terrible crime. You know, we can win a lot of victories in the big areas of life, but oh, oh, be careful. It's the little things that will destroy you. And David's temper, not under control, almost brought him to a terrible transgression of murder. There's a giant tree that fell in Colorado. They said it's 400 years old. Imagine that. 400 years old. It had withstood 14 lightning strikes. It had withstood earthquakes. It had withstood the blowing winds. But that 400-year-old tree fell. And you know why? Insects had gotten into that tree and eaten away the fiber of it, and it fell. 
It's the little things that God knows can destroy us. Beware of the little foxes that spoil the vine. A feeling of jealousy, a feeling of anger, a feeling of resentment, a feeling of unforgiveness, a, fee, a, a, a disobedience to the command of our Lord. These things can eventually bring our fall. Thank God the Lord dealt with David through one who interceded and loved his calling. Our Lord called for you today. Now, Father, I want to bow in prayer with our precious family here this morning. You know the heart of every one of us. Perhaps you have spoken to someone right here today. Someone who may have delayed in responding to the divine call of God. Somebody here this morning that needs to be saved. They have been in church for years, but they've never really been born again. They've never definitely, decisively said, Yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner just like you said, and you died for me, and I trust you as my risen Lord. May they do it today. And those who are saved that need to come into the fellowship of our church, you've spoken to their heart about it. I pray that you'll help them to be quick to respond to your call. Those who are here in this church family that, Lord, need a special touch from you. Maybe some are interceding now for loved ones. May they just, Lord, commit themselves to keep on keeping on. Grant that your will be done and your name glorified in the decisions made today. In Jesus' name, amen.